Let's pray. Father, again, what an honor it is just to be called children of God. Father, we can be here to hear your word, sing to you, and encourage each other. Father, that's perfect. It's a great place to be. We want to honor you today with our lives. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. It's good to see you. Good morning. It's good. Um, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Dean Hampton. I'm the site pastor out at Legacy, and I will give you a confession right now. It's probably not good for me to drive from Legacy to here to preach because I'm tailgating and passing my congregation at about 75, 80 miles an hour. All they see is my tailgate and the big fish on the back, which is, uh, gets me in trouble. So I'm glad that you're here. It's good to see you. Um, can I... Can I have some fun this morning, just to start out with? No? Yes. Let's pray. No. I want to hear your favorite song or group in high school. That's going to date us a little bit, I know. We had fun with this out at Legacy. Uh, but tell me, call out, tell me your, the song that you loved or the group that you listened to in high school. The Beatles. The Beatles. That was the first one out at Legacy. Who said that? Yeah, that was the first one. Out. Man, you guys are good. What else? James Taylor. James Taylor. That's good. A little 70s. What was that? BTO. BTO. Good. All right. Who else? Ann Murray. Murray. Yeah. Buddy Holly. That's good. Green Day. Green Day. You are younger. I know. <laughs> I, put Lauren, I put Lauren on the spot. Where is Lauren? She's already heard me, so I don't know where she is. Uh, who else? Who's younger? Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Good. Okay. How about kids? If my kids were here, I'd put them on the spot right away. I know they're watching. I would ask you guys if you were here. What is it? I don't even know what BTS is. Oh, okay. Anybody else? The Pretenders, good. Now let me ask you this. What's your favorite song today? You can't understand the words. You can't understand the words? Okay. Who else? What, what is your favorite song today? What a beautiful name. Excellent. Good. How about one more? Christ Alone. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, how about this? This is my favorite song right now. When I was younger, uh, I listened to The Police, Dire Straits, uh, and, and loved that, kind of that, that song. Where I work now, sometimes I'll, I'll play that and they'll look at me funny, but that's all right. They're different age. Um, let me read this. This is my favorite song now. This is my favorite song now. Amazing Grace... How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to hear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. And grace 
will lead us home. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. Was blind, and now I see. To me, that's one of the most beautiful songs ever penned. One of the most deepest songs ever penned. It talks about the grace of God. It showcases the grace of God. And something that we need to talk more about. More and more is God's grace. I listened to a man by the name of Haddon Robinson who taught preachers how to preach for probably, I don't know if I'm overestimating, about 50 years. He went from seminary to seminary. And he is one of the best preachers I've heard. He's, he's one of those um, spellbinders that you listen to. And he just leads you along a path. And you go, wow. And they asked him one time, they said, Haddon, if you were to die tomorrow and you had one thing to preach on, what would you preach? Without missing a beat, he said, the grace of God. A good friend of mine, another phenomenal preacher, uh, said, Dean, I haven't slept all night. I'm preaching on the grace of God. I said, really? He said, I'm so excited. Because he had seen the grace of God work in his life. And, that, and if I were to tell you his story, you'd be amazed. And he is just a man who is in love with the grace of God. And I'm excited to preach to you today about the grace of God. And I'll tell you right now, I won't do it justice but I will give it my best shot. And I want us walking out of here celebrating the grace of God. Here's the problem. We have missed the power of God's grace in our life because we've become distracted by other things. And the question is always this, how do we live a life that is focused on God's grace? What does that look like? How do we do that? Let me give you a little background. We're going to spend some time in a short passage in Titus. And if you know anything about Titus, uh, this was a pastor who had worked with Paul and Paul was writing back to him. He was in the island of Crete. Has anybody here been to Crete? We had one person at Legacy been at Crete. You know, Crete has this like cool sound. You know, I thought, wow, it's, it's a beautiful place. She said, no, nah, it's pretty desolate. So it'd be a, kind of a, Funky place to pastor a church, but he's in the island of Crete and people were coming in and starting to teach legalism. And what that means is simply in its easiest form, it's Jesus, you are saved by Jesus Christ and his blood plus you fill in the blank. And in this circumstance, they were saying, yeah, it is Jesus Christ. Just like Paul said, these uh, leaders would say, it's just like what Paul said. It's Jesus Christ and his blood plus circumcision in this case. So if you weren't circumcised, guys, you really weren't, you know, truly saved. Because you can't totally get rid of the past, the, the Jewish legalism that they were following under. So it was Jesus Christ plus, in this case, Circumcision. Now, there are other churches that will say it is Jesus Christ plus, and you push them a little bit, plus good works. Push that a little bit more, and it'll be the Ten Commandments, following the Ten Commandments. So it's really not all Jesus, is it? 
That's a form of legalism. Now, what can we wrestle with? Well, if I'm not doing this activity, I don't know if I'm truly saved. And I don't, have you seen the person, how they dress? I don't know if they're truly saved. There's an outward appearance that legalists will grab onto and say, yes, they believe in Jesus Christ, but just look at how they are. Look how they look. They're not doing everything right. That's a legalist mindset. Paul was addressing that, and Paul, being the very subtle person that he was, came back and punched him in the throat and said, absolutely not. And he wrote about God's grace. Paul responded with a quick punch, and he knew the devastating effect of legalism in the church. If he didn't act quick, Titus's church would implode at that time. And as Paul says, people's faith will be shipwrecked, is what the term he uses. And I don't know if about you, but I've seen people's faith, usually young faith, be shipwrecked by legalists. Legalists will come and swoop in and start adding things to them. And soon they just say, I'm done with it. This is nuts. And they become shipwrecked in their faith. Paul quickly turns to a healthy, what a healthy church looks like and a magnificence of God's grace. He says, this is dangerous. Over here, stay away. Legalism, confront them. This, what I'm about to write you in Titus, this is what a healthy church looks like. And I want you to, have, I want you to think about this. He's going to go through and talk about age groups, okay? And I want you to find yours. I want you to find your group and hear what he has to say about it. Let's read Titus 2, 1 through 10. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled and pure and be busy at home to be kind and, to subject, and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say to us or about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to walk back or talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. All the men in here fell into what group? The young men, right? Maybe not. How did, when you read that section and, and heard the, the group that you fell under, what did you think? It's good advice, right? 
it'd make you go, hmm, how am I going to do that? Can you take a young man of 17, 16, 20, and say, be self-controlled? How easy is that for a young man who has energy pouring out of their ears? Their brains are not fully formed yet, right? Be self-controlled. Oh, that's tough. Older men, be respectful. He gives us characteristics to live our life by that really, when I read it, I go, oh, that's, that's a tough one at times because I know myself. And let's be honest, you too. How do we survive? How do we move in that and thrive? It's by God's grace that we can do that. And we'll look at that and we'll see that in just a moment. Here is our hope when we read a passage like that calls us to holiness and transformation. The only thing that gives us hope is the grace of God. Let's read verses 11 through 14. Same chapter. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul is simply saying this, for us to have a healthy church, our people need to be healthy. Look at verse 11 through 14 shows us how God changes people and he changes us by his grace. Let's look at this deeper. What we see is three things about God's grace. I want to read these out to you. The first one is this. We see that God saves us. In this passage, God saves us through grace. Grace saves us. Second is this. Grace trains us. Saves us and trains us. And finally, grace gives us focus. Saves, trains, focuses us. That's a broad view, isn't it? That's a, that's a broad picture that grace does. That's how great grace, grace is. Let's look at the first one. Grace saves us. Verse 14 says this simple statement. He gave himself for us, meaning Christ, which means he is our substitute before God. If anybody's going to stand before God, I want Jesus to be that man. Because Christ, the Lord sees the sin in my life, knows the sin in my life. And because of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, he now stands as a substitute for me. And that's grace. First Peter 2, uh, 24 tells us, Who his own self bear our sin, his own body on a tree. Because of God's grace, Christ died for me and died for you. So he could be that perfect substitute standing before the Lord. Because there is no one else who is perfect. He is our substitute. As Titus 3.3 3 tells us, we are slaves to sin, unable to save ourselves. 
But John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is grace. Christ is grace. What he did is grace. Ephesians makes this even clearer. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Takes it out of our hands, doesn't it, completely. God's grace has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Christ. That's why we can rely on God's grace. That's why we celebrate God's grace. That's why we trust God's grace, because it saves us. But what does being saved by God's grace mean? We are unable, physically unable, to make God's standard for holiness. Therefore, he sent Jesus as a substitute. And by believing in him, he is our savior. That's the message of the Bible right there. That is why we come and we sing to him. That is why we read his word. That is why we tell others about him. Is because his grace is so magnificent. And we'll see later that that's what drives us. There is something driving you right now throughout the week. What is it? God says it's God's grace that drives us. Let me go back and I want to define, I want to understand what God's grace is. In the broadest term, and this is a topic that we could preach on for weeks. And I feel, I feel bad that I'm only going to be able to give you 15 minutes, 20 minutes on it. But we'll understand it even more. In the broadest term, it means God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it but we received it. What does that look like? Um, Some of you know I work for Rock Wheels. And we take wheelchairs and mobility devices to developing countries. And we give away wheelchairs to kids, usually with cerebral palsy. These are kids that cannot move, cannot get around, other than their parents literally picking them up and taking them everywhere. Or they just... They stay on the ground or they stay in the bed. And we give them a wheelchair that transforms them, transforms the family, and really, and many times, the whole village. So we just got back from Mexico about two weeks ago where we gave away 41 chairs to kids and their families. um, Free. Didn't cost them anything. They asked for it, there was a need, and we gave it to them. We didn't expect anything in return. Uh, We go out and we take, we have a a group there that takes measurements of the kids, so we give them just what they need. But they haven't earned it, nor do we ask them to earn it. That is an example of God's grace to them. So when they see the wheelchair, the family and and the child knows Ultimately, this is a gift from God. That's an example of grace to us. In salvation, there's nothing we could do. But in only in God's grace was he able 
to save us. That's the beauty of grace. Grace saves us. Next is grace teaches us. The same grace that saves us also changes our attitudes, ambitions, and actions. Teaching is the same idea of disciplining, training. Discipline is kind of a loaded word, isn't it? It's more like training. If you've ever been involved in sports or in school or just life in general, you know that it's a process, isn't it? You don't go to bed on Tuesday and wake up on Wednesday perfect or stronger. It's a process that you go through. It's the same thing with grace. It's a disciplining that takes place. We are trained to be the type of people to reflect God's glory and trained and focusing on God's grace. Godly living, living involves both positive and negative, doesn't it? Here we have to deny ungodliness and the positive being self-controlled, loving, and merciful. Grace, reformed, grace reforms us to be his possession. As in verse 14 says this, redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. We are God's people. And through that, grace shows us and drives us to want to do good. Not out of begrudgingly, not out of duty, but out of delight. Because the Holy Spirit within us draws that out. And we are designed to be doing good. Sharing God's grace. Third is this. Grace gives us focus. Verse 13 says, we need to keep changing and move, moving forward to Christ. For in this verse it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this, Christ is coming back and he's coming back soon. I, I, I laughed when I saw this bumper sticker it said, Jesus is coming, look busy. Ah, somehow that's how I feel. But there is a very real sense of Jesus has come once and the Bible says Jesus is coming again. And he's coming quicker than we think. And I always said, you know, Jesus is coming probably quicker than I think he's either going to come as scripture says, or I'm not going to live as long as I think I'm going to live. And I'm going to meet Jesus fairly quick. Either way, he's coming quicker than I think, Right? So if we know that we are going to meet Jesus one way or the other, how does that affect our life? Affect mine a lot. It realigns my focus into what is the most important thing, which is Christ. Let me ask you this question. If you knew tomorrow at 12 o'clock that you were going to meet Jesus, what would you be doing today? tell you what I'd be doing. I'd be on the phone. I'd be calling everybody I could, telling them I love them, and having one heck of a conversation with them. Because that's what's most important, be telling them about Christ. When our focus is on Christ, our life is different. Suddenly what is important to him is important to me. 
And I get great joy. And there's nothing greater than doing what Christ calls us to do. Sometimes we can stick our fingers in our ears, right? At least I can. And God says, go this way. I want you to do this. Do this for me. And I go, yep, dude, sorry. I'm going to go do my own thing. And I walk the other way. Rarely does that work out well. Because the Holy Spirit is always talking to you. The Holy Spirit is always drawing you back, isn't he? He's always talking, saying, come this way. That's grace. And suddenly good works is exciting. It's not drudgery. It's a delight. That's God's grace. It changes and teaches us. Saves us. Trains us. Gives us focus. How do we apply this? How do we apply this? Live a life of grace. Live a life of grace. Be an example to others. Find ways to give to others. You don't even have to tell them about Christ. What do I mean by that? Just by giving away something and sacrificing for something uh, for someone, you are demonstrating God's grace and you will get the opportunity to speak about him at the right time. Find ways to serve. Find ways to give. That's demonstrating grace. How about this? The simple act of listening is grace. You have to ask people twice. Try it. See if I'm right. You can write me an email, give me a call and say, Dean, you're way off base. You're completely wrong. I'll disagree with you, but that's okay. Go up to someone and ask them twice. How are you doing? They'll say, fine. First time, fine. Doing fine. You ask them again, how are you doing? That's when you find the answer. And that gives you the opportunity to listen. Don't turn into Dr. Phil. Just listen. Don't solve the problem. Listen. We all have things that we want to say. We all want to be understood. Listen. That's a form of God's grace and listening to people, caring for people, loving people, giving to people. Do that within your family today. Try it out. See if it works. Now I've put pressure on you because your family's sitting around you, right? Who's going to be first? Be a great listener. Live a life of grace. Second is this. Trust God's grace to change you. Trust God's grace to change you. He is disciplining you. He is training you right now to being a better person, to being more Christ-like, to being a mirror of Christ to your friends. And that's a great thing. Cooperate with that. Cooperate with that. Third, celebrate Christ's life. Celebrate Christ in life. What does that mean? That's focus, isn't it? Focus on Christ and what he has done for you. And there's nothing else you can do but celebrate. And who would you rather be around? Someone who is 
celebrating life, celebrating Christ, or down in the dumps? Be that person who lifts others up, recognizes that God's grace is changing you, and find ways of serving others. Be God's grace. Point them to Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved. And precious did the grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already some. It was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Grace will lead us home. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, and now I see. And was blind, and now I see. God's grace has changed you and is changing you. Celebrate Christ for it. Father, thank you again for this time that we have just to understand you more and more. Be with us as we go out. Help us to understand grace more and more and live grace more and more. Thank you that grace saves us, trains us, and gives us focus. Father, for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.